0: Today we'll be looking at a passage that involves Jesus healing lepers. Now, I think it's a safe statement to make that someone who's a leper realizes they have a serious problem, they have a significant need. So as I read this account from Scripture, uh, consider what happens in light of that recognition that every leper would have. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: Let's pray together as we prepare to come before God's Word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have um, not left us in the dark, but that You have given us a light into our path. And Father, we pray that that light would shine clearly this morning, that ultimately that light would lead us to Jesus. And that no matter how we come this morning, hearts full of sorrow, hearts full of questions and doubts, um, hearts that are so comfortable we forget our need of you, hearts that are perhaps angry or bitter, um, hearts that are aware of the hypocrisy in our lives, that there's such a great distance between what we claim to be and what we actually are. Father, however we find ourselves this morning, we pray that the light of Jesus would shine clearly and that you would remind us of the wonderful good news that we have in him, the hope that we have in him, the life that we have in him, because it can be true because of his person and work that we are both at the same time far more broken than we could ever imagine but also far more loved, far more approved of, and accepted, and secure than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray this morning, let the light of Jesus shine upon us, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And the children at this time are dismissed to Children's Church, children ages 3 to 6. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to children's church, <clears throat> we're getting near the end of our fall series uh, through the miracles of Jesus in Luke's gospel. So you're getting tired of me of hearing me say these kind of things, but nearing the conclusion of Tolkien's book, the Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien begins to reveal the true identity of the wandering drifter and ranger, Aragorn. And it comes at a point when Aragorn has come into the city of Gondor, and he comes to visit the sick and the dying and the dead in the city. And he started laying his hands on people, and they were miraculously healed. And through the crowds, people started to remember, and they started whispering Amongst one another. Um, this old prophecy that went like this, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. And what we've been doing in this series this fall is we have been looking at the true story of the rightful king, whose hands are the hands of a healer. And this morning we have this story that we read a moment ago uh, from Luke chapter 17 of Jesus healing ten lepers, but only one returned to fall at the feet of the rightful king. And by the end of this morning, I do hope that you'll see why this is a story of scandalous grace. A quote I love and think I put on the front of your bulletin a time or two is a quote from Annie Dillard. Um, In it, she's musing about the power of worship and the church's general lack of awareness of that power. Um, And so here's what she wrote She wrote, Why do we people in churches seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute? And she goes on, "'On the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of the conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea of what, so, what, of what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I su- suspect, does not one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets.' Mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. She says they should lash us to our pews. You know, she misses our demographic slightly when she, <laughs> when she mentions velvet hats. I don't even know what that is. But, um, <laughs> but, but the metaphor is good. I imagine they're hot, uh, is what I imagine. Um, but the metaphor is, is good, that she's using ushers should stand at the door issuing life preservers. They should give us crash helmets. They should lash us to our pews. I mean, do you, do you come to encounter the rightful king, to meet the rightful king in worship? Did you come adequately prepared with your helmets this morning, right? The story in Luke 17, it's a unique story. Um, it's historical. Jesus really did meet ten lepers uh, and, and healed those ten lepers, and only one returned. But it's a unique story because when you read through the story, it, it almost has a parable-like quality to it. There's a lesson that's attached to this story. And, and listen, listen. When that lesson hits you, I really do think you need to be wearing a helmet. You need to be lashed to your pews because everything changes. This is a story of scandalous grace. It's a TNT explosion of beauty when mercy meets brokenness and collides with it. Look, It's a story that if you take it in this morning... It will change you from the inside out. So, are you lashed to your pews? Do you have your signal flares ready and your helmets ready? Because here's what I want us to see from Luke 17 these three things. First, I want us to understand the brokenness that keeps us at a distance. And second, I want us to see the mercy that comes to meet us in our brokenness and our uncleanness. And third, I want us to see the heart that finds wholeness in Jesus. So first, the brokenness that keeps us at a distance. Jesus, the story tells us he was on his way to Jerusalem. And we're told this in verse 11. He He was outside this unknown village between Samaria and Galilee where Jesus met ten lepers, These lepers, Luke tells us in verse 12, they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. They had to shout to get Jesus' attention because they were at a distance. And you know, that is a great way to describe what it meant to be a leper in this day. To be a leper in this day was to be at a distance. It was to be separated. It was to be alone. It was to be isolated. It was to be cut off. The term leprosy referred to a variety of, of skin diseases in Jesus' day, but what was required when someone had one of these skin diseases, was very clear from God's Word. This is what God said in Leviticus chapter 13 about someone with leprosy. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Alone. Outside the camp. At a distance. Shouting at people who maybe accidentally got too close. They would shout, unclean, unclean. And they would watch them run away from them. They were kept at a distance. They wore torn clothes. They messed up their hair so that anybody could see. Don't get too close. Stay at a distance. I mean, the skin disease was bad enough, right? But did you see the real tragedy and horror here? They were alienated, they were cut off, they were separated from the families they loved. Right? They were kept at a distance. They were, they were kept from every friend at a distance. They were barred from entering the temple to worship. They were cut off from God himself at a distance. And in all of this, we have a picture of our own brokenness. You are not made. Please You are not made. To be at a distance from God and others. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? And as soon as they fell into that first sin, what happened? I mean, the fissures and the fractures of brokenness that entered the world immediately. It spread like spider webs of isolation throughout every relationship. Immediately they were, at a distance, alienated certainly from one another, alienated from God, alienated from the creation, and even alienated from themselves in shame. Listen, a couple of months ago, someone introduced me to a great uh, TV show on the History Channel called Alone, um, It's something of a reality show if you haven't seen it, but it's probably the most real reality show I've ever seen. Um, Strangely, most of them aren't even close to real, but um, here's the premise of this show. They took 10 tough, hard men, survivalists. Uh, One of the men, I think, was uh, a, a Delta Force uh, guy in the army, and they, they took these guys, and they plopped them down in the Vancouver Islands, and it was cold, and it was rainy, and they were all separated by, you know, several miles from one another, and they were supposed to survive, and so they let all of these men pick 10... P- Ten items that they could take with them into these woods. And they were things like a tarp so they could make a tent, a knife, maybe a pot for boiling water and so on. Ten items, it goes pretty quickly. Um, but any, anyway, they also had a satellite phone so that if they needed to be rescued, they could, they could make a call. Or if they just couldn't take it any longer, they could make a call and get picked up. And they gave them TV cameras to document their experience. And that's all they had. And it was fascinating because in the first 10 days, um, something like six of them tapped out. They were done. And, and, and those, that first group of people, they were really just, they tapped out because they were scared. One guy was like, bears, um, I'm out. Um, <laughs> and another guy, he couldn't make a fire, couldn't get a fire started. So he said, it's over, I'm out. Um, but then three or four guys made it like 30 40 days. Um, Oh, and the incentive to to do this was $500,000. And it's a very simple premise to the show. Last man standing wins $500,000, right? And here's what was fascinating about the the last three or four men. They were tough men. They were hard men. But every single one of them, all of them started breaking down (laughs) and weeping The longer they were alone. The refrain that showed up on every single one of their lips at some point in some way was this We aren't made to be alone like this. Right? One guy said, It's not in our DNA to be isolated like this. And they talked about how when all the stuff of their ordinary lives vanished. The food, the TV, the internet, entertainment, all of that stuff. They began to see, alone in these islands, how much they used all of that to medicate and numb themselves. See, when it was gone, sadness and pain and sorrow, and they talk about all this stuff, guilt and shame flooded into their lives and broke them as they reflected on their aloneness. The the true, fractured, broken, isolated quality of their lives. C.S. Lewis wrote that we are born helpless, and as soon as we become conscious, we discover loneliness. And as soon as we discover loneliness we begin to medicate. We work to numb ourselves to the terrifying tragedy of aloneness in our lives. And it's, it's really hard for you to recognize and see it when we're always in the process of, of trying to avoid and escape and numb ourselves to that pain, all the walls that separate, all the shame that isolates, the brokenness that divides and cuts us off. We were not made to be At a distance, but we are. Do you see the real tragedy and horror in this passage? These men had to shout to get Jesus' attention because they were at a distance. And to see these lepers at a distance is for you and me to look into the mirror and see what's hard to recognize in yourself. When you're in the process of avoiding and escaping and numbing. See, the bigger question of this passage is, do you see the real tragedy and horror in your life? The brokenness that has fractured and alienated and isolated you from God and others. And kept you at a horrifying distance. Kept you where you weren't meant to be. But we are. Second. Let's consider the mercy that comes to meet us in our brokenness, and our uncleanness. Why were lepers kept at a distance? Um, you heard it in Leviticus when they, they were instructed to shout, unclean, unclean. That's it. They were unclean. And that's why they were at a distance. On one level, it was just very practical. Um, clean people didn't want to come in contact with the unclean and, get, and catch the disease themselves. But there was another level. And this is why they were kept at a distance from God's presence in the temple. God is holy, holy, holy. And no one, no one can come before him unclean and impure like this. So, what did these lepers do when they saw Jesus? They lifted up their voice. They shouted at him to, and they begged him for mercy. It's likely that they had heard stories from passers by, rumblings and whisperings that went something like this The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so they shouted. Master, have mercy on us. And, and it's, look, it's so fascinating what Jesus did here that I, I just want to reflect for a couple minutes with you on this. Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priests in verse 14. And if you were a leper, this was necessary for you to do after the leprosy had left your body. The priests, they were like the medical examiners who after a waiting period and some ceremonial washings would clear former lepers so that they could re-enter society and come back to the temple to worship God. But here Jesus was saying, go with your uncleanness to the priests. Do you understand what a big deal this is? I mean, if they showed up to the priest and they were still covered in leprosy, they would be rejected. They would be humiliated. Beyond that, most likely, they would be stoned to death for having come back inside while they were still unclean. And so I absolutely love this about this story. Jesus was saying, don't wait until you're clean. He was saying, go now. Go with all your uncleanness. Go to the priest as you are. Listen, this is the beauty that you and I need to have explode in our life if we are ever going to be changed. Here's the invitation. Go as you are. Come to God with your brokenness. With all your all your uncleanness, with all your sins, come as the sinner you are, and you will find that the God of mercy meets you not after you have cleaned yourself up, but He meets us, He meets us in our brokenness, His mercy comes and collides with our brokenness. A long time ago now, Jennifer and I we were living in our first home in Martin, Tennessee, and it was a house that was just outside the city limits and we had an acre and but we were surrounded by hundreds and thousands of acres of farmland out there and uh, and one evening I almost burned it all to the ground Um, we had a bunch of people over to our house and we were going to have a bonfire and I got this brilliant idea that I was going to take a bunch of gasoline and uh, pour it all over the wood And then I was going to make a trail of gasoline through my grass behind my house. It was kind of like the fuse, you know. So um, so anyway, um, it was awesome. Um, Everyone stood back, and I lit the match. And I put that match to the gasoline, and it worked perfectly. I mean, it followed that gasoline trail right up to that wood pile. And when it hit that pile of wood... It exploded. And I'm not making this up. You can ask Jennifer about it. I sometimes I exaggerate, but not now. There was a there was a mushroom cloud in my backyard and flaming wood wooden shrapnel flew out it's a mirror We're talking about miracles. It was a miracle that nobody was injured that evening. And by the end, I burned down like 5,000 square feet of of land um, before we got the fire out. And it was dumb, and kids don't follow that example. It was dangerous, um, but it was awesome. (laughs) Um, It was amazing. Um, You know, the match and the gasoline, each by itself, And nothing very impressive, right? Nothing exciting happens that night by themselves. But when those two things converge, when they meet, when they come together and collide, the fire and the gasoline, there is a flash, and there is an explosion outward and upward. Listen to me. When the truth of your brokenness collides with the love of God and Jesus... That's the explosion of beauty you need in your life. That's the flash, and that's the explosion outward and upward in your life and in mine. You know, we all put up walls all over the place in our lives, and we live schizophrenically with God and with others. You know what I mean by living schizophrenically? Look, you cannot help it. It is in your DNA. You are not meant to to be at a distance. You desperately, in your life, you want to close the gap and find closeness to God and others. But at the same time, there is nothing in your life that terrifies you more than the prospect of closing that gap. I want to be seen and known, but if someone ever really saw me in all my uncleanness, I'm afraid that the deepest fears of my life will be confirmed in that moment. And I'm afraid that I would see what these lepers saw every time they screamed out, unclean, unclean, and watched people run away from them. It's schizophrenic. We want to close the gap, but nothing terrifies us more. But what happens? What happens in your life when God looks at you and he says, I see you, I see you to the very bottom of your being. I see the depth of your uncleanness, and I love you through and through to the very bottom of your soul. Listen, when that happens, when mercy really does meet us in our uncleanness, it changes us and it will explode into our lives and will actually make us dangerous. A point that I'm going to mention in just a moment. You need a crash helmet. For this kind of explosion in your life. Okay, finally then, let's look at the heart that finds wholeness in Jesus. Here's where the story, even though it's not a parable, it's a true story, but it has this parable-like quality to it. There's a lesson here for us. These lepers, they set off to go to the priests, um, and Luke tells us in verse 15, as they went, they were cleansed. They probably saw it in each other first, I would imagine, You know, the lesions and the blotches on their skin and the infectious tissue was vanishing and it was being made whole and they were healing. and, And one of them, one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He had shouted to God for mercy and now he was shouting praises. Listen, ten were healed, but only one of them returned to Jesus. Now listen, it's really hard to know best how to explain this to you very briefly, but I want to try it like this. I'm a parent, like many of you, and as a parent, I really do want to give good things to my children. And so like you, I sacrifice a lot for them and I give them a lot. You know, I've only been at it 11 years now. Some of you have been at it decades longer. I'm not trying to call you out on that or anything, but it's, <laughs> some of you have been at it much longer. I'm not claiming to be an expert on this at all, but even at this stage, I couldn't possibly calculate the cumulative cost of giving to my children There has been time, and there has been money, and there has been energy, and there has been hurt, and there has been sacrifice, and some of us are wondering if it would even be possible to calculate the emotional kind of damage that we've endured as being parents. The cumulative cost of trying to give our children good things, but listen, out of it all, out of everything I give in different ways to my children, because I want them to have good things, out of all that... I do not want my kids to want the stuff. I I don't simply want them to want the things I can give them. I want them to want me. I want them to love me as their father. And, And listen, I'm not suggesting some kind of real like needy, insecure, manipulative kind of desire on my part. I mean, I know there are parents who use their children in that way, but in its purest form, I'm telling you, I just want them to delight, to delight in my delighting, in them. Ten lepers were given a good gift by Jesus. He cleansed them of all their leprosy. He sent them back to their family, their friends, and and to the temple. But you know what this story is saying? Nine of them didn't want Jesus. They just wanted his gifts. They just wanted his stuff. They just wanted the things he could do for them. They cried out to him, Master, but the truth was that all they saw in Jesus was someone useful to them. Useful to them so that they could get from him, but not to have him. And I think I need to say this. That's how almost all of us come to Jesus initially. You know, things start falling apart in our lives, and we sense the tragedy and the brokenness of our lives. And when we've exhausted every other option in life, we say, Well, maybe I'll try church. Maybe I'll try Jesus, hoping that He can fix my life and give us what we want. Almost all of us come to Jesus initially like that. But unless we go beyond that, beyond the gifts of Jesus, to Jesus himself, we will be unclean and unwhole and at a distance forever. On the inside of your bulletin's first page, it says, Grace Community Church, among other things, exists to delight in God. You know why it says that? It's because our hope is to be a church that no matter how you come initially, that leads you to become like the one leper who returned, that leads you to delight not just in Jesus' gifts, but in Jesus himself who comes to meet you in your brokenness. The gospel bids you come as you are and to delight in the one who delights in you. Surely all ten lepers were excited, they were enthused, they were happy and ecstatic when they realized that Jesus had healed them. But only this one turned around. Only this one went back to fall at Jesus' feet in worship. Only this one went beyond delighting in Jesus' gifts to delight in Jesus himself. Why did he fall at Jesus' feet? Because he realized that Jesus was the true king. He was the rightful king who came and met him in his brokenness and his uncleanness. And here's the scandal of grace in this passage. Luke highlights it well in verse 16 when he writes this simple sentence. Now he was a Samaritan. And that little fact doesn't escape Jesus' attention either. Because in verse 18, Jesus asked, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They regularly prayed. This was a part of their prayers that they offered, that God would destroy them and send them to hell forever. That's some animosity. Listen, they were of suspect ethnicity They had a corrupted religion. Maybe you remember the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, where she said to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but basically you Jews say that we need to worship in Jerusalem. It was a corrupt religion. They didn't worship at the temple in Jerusalem, but at their own temple on Mount Gerizim. How... How to explain this scandal to you? It's like there were ten good Southerners living in Bible Belt Memphis, Tennessee. But only the Muslim returned to give thanks to Jesus and fall at his feet. And that is scandalous. It is scandalous. That's the kind of shock that this story would have had in Jesus' day. And you know what? That makes this story full of hope for us. Because that has to mean that no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, and no matter where you have been, or how messed up you are, how broken you are, if you come as you are, with your sin, with your brokenness, with your uncleanness, and you fall at the feet of Jesus, He will do more than heal your body. He will make you whole. He will close the gap between you and himself. And because of that, he will begin closing the gaps in all your other relationships. Certainly because this one leper was a Samaritan, when Jesus told these, these ten to go and show yourself to the priest, this Samaritan must have been thinking, am I supposed to go to Jerusalem or Gerizim? I don't know. But listen, when he saw the healing in his body, something clicked for him. And here's what I think clicked for him. The temple was where God came and met with man. And this man realized that he had been in the presence of God himself. And Jesus was the true temple. And so he ran back and he fell at Jesus' feet And he fell down in thanksgiving and praise. Mercy had met him in his brokenness. Jesus had met him in his brokenness. God himself had come and met him in his brokenness and closed the gap in his life. And when he fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let me end like this. I wish I could say much more, but I do want to leave you with this. Luke reminds us in the first verse of our passage. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And all throughout Luke's gospel, when you encounter that phrase, and it shows up over and over and over and over again, it is Luke's way of signaling to you that Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. The lepers, they were outcasts, and Jesus was going to Jerusalem so that they could cast him out, to be crucified outside the city gates so that he could bring us all the way in and close the gap and close the distance. Can you see that? Will you come and fall at the feet of Jesus and delight in his delighting in you, in his willingness to die in order to bring you all the way in? The author of Hebrews writes this, let us fix our eyes. On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before the King of kings who had everything? The joy that was set before him was you in all your brokenness. And all your uncleanness, it was you. Will you delight in the one who delights in you? The moment you do, you do become dangerous. The explosion goes off, and those who spend their lives looking for ways to fall at Jesus' feet and thank him, they are the ones who are poised to make a real difference in this world. Will you fall at his feet? and thankfulness. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Jesus, for Jesus who came and for Jesus who pays attention to our cries for mercy. And Father, we pray that we would see in him the one who has come, God himself, God in the flesh, who has come to close the gap, to stand in the gap, to be our mediator between you and us, the one who has come and has died for all of our sins and covered us in his righteousness so that the gap will finally be closed and we can come before you as we are. And Father, we pray that we would be like the one leper. The one leper who comes back and falls at Jesus' feet with thanksgiving. Make us dangerous for this world in our thanksgiving, poised to make a difference because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.